0: come into a passage like this today, we're going to be looking at Romans 8, uh, the final verses, not completing it yet today, but in the next two weeks, uh, finishing out this chapter. And uh, you have the title in your Bible, probably, as I do, and really the title of this message uh, for the next two weeks is More Than Conquerors. And that is such an appropriate title uh, for many reasons. Uh, For how many... You know, he talked about the fact that we have no accusers, right? There's no no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul started this chapter out. There's no condemnation. Yet, do you have condemnation in your heart? Have you been condemned by others? Has circumstances and things in your life condemned you? Every single one of us. And so it, you come to a passage like this and you realize that... Uh, Unless the Spirit of God leads, unless we open our hearts to this um, and realize uh, that um, the, the desperate need that we have for, for Jesus in our life, the desperate need. Uh, even, even, Lord, uh, don't we even set up defenses in our own lives against them? And we live our lives kind of protected against the condemnation? Uh, you know, for us guys, we kind of well up our our pride, and we kind of walk with that in front of us, just saying, nobody's going to talk to me this way. And we kind of live our life that way, you know, and I don't think that's the way the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to live with our hearts open to Him and open to each other. And yet we have so many defensive walls um, that, we, uh, that we live. Um, this week, um, my, Sue and I had a, a conversation, and... Uh, um, and she, if you ever want to ask your, you know, where you are in life, just ask your wife. No, she, she has got, she's firing off all, all eight cylinders, and she sees things that you don't see as a man, honestly. And so there were some things, even of pride, that she brought before me and said, Wayne, I, I see this in you. And, you know, it's hard to say, thank you, honey. But it's good; it's good. We need that in our lives, um, because what does the Bible say about pride? Right? Yeah. That the, the Lord brings low those who are of pride, and He lifts up the humble. Right? Yeah. And so, anyways, so as we approach this passage, as as we hear God's word, um, Lord, just Lord, just be with us and open our hearts to this. That we can be more than conquerors. In the midst of all the condemnation, um, if you've sinned this week, it has a tendency of trying to condemn you. Even though you're forgiven in Christ Jesus, it has a tendency of wanting to bring you low. Are you you're with me? Yeah. And so, hear the word of Lord. I'm going to read all nine verses, but we're only going to handle the first um, 31 through 34 today. So hear God's word. You know what? Stand with me. Um, if there's anybody that does not have a Bible, and you would like a Bible, raise your hand, and Bob, uh, I've got one over here. Praise the Lord. If there's anybody else that does not have a Bible, um, Bob will bring you one. Thank you, Bob. Anybody else? So go ahead, Romans, if, uh, if you don't. Uh, we got one over here, right up in the second row back. Um, if you don't know where to go, in the front is a table of contents, Romans is going to be in what's called the New Testament, and, uh, and so you'll find Romans, and you'll be able to go there, the 8th chapter, and we're starting with the 31st verse. Okay. Just give a minute for people to find it. Very thankful when people are paging through God's word. Romans 8, starting with the 31st verse, says this What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. You may be seated. So as we draw to the end of chapter 8, we're drawing uh, uh, to a conclusion on a very intensive and focus on the Holy Spirit, something that in the church has, has been very lack in our, in our preaching on, but the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of every single person who has received Jesus Christ as Lord. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so as he concludes this, he comes to the place where he says, okay, I need to, I need to focus on a subject. If this is all true and you're, you're truly depending on the Holy Spirit of God and you're letting go of the control of your life, you're letting go of these things and you're trusting God completely with your life, then it's going to take courage to face this, because the physical is always going to want to draw you back, draw you back to protect, draw you back for your rights, draw you back, and he's saying it's going to take courage in a life of faith, and the foundation to that courage, listen to me, is the absolute assurance of eternal security of your salvation in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. It is all about him. Your security and your salvation is in Christ, not in your ability to live it out, not in, in, in the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. Remember, um, Paul understands this. So, so he's trying to answer two objections that is coming forward by listeners, especially of the Jewish tribe, There are these two questions are this. Can anyone take away my salvation? Is there any person that can take away my salvation? And secondly, and sometimes even more difficultly, and that is, is there any circumstance that can take away my salvation? Any circumstance. Today we're going to be talking about the first question. Next week, we're going to handle the second, and I think it's appropriate. It's appropriate. Why courage? Why do I start out with courage? I remember talking to someone about the need of courage in uh, our faithful walk in life with the Lord, and this person said to me, said, I don't understand what you're talking about. I have never needed courage to walk by faith. So I reminded him of a um, besetting sin that he had in his life, and he pushed back at me. And I said, exactly. That's exactly. If you want to face your sin, you face the reality of your life, you're going to need courage to face it. And so we understand that faith is a free gift of God. It isn't something we can earn or deserve. But to walk it is going to take courage Paul knew this, people, because when he was a Pharisee and when he was believing that he was living exactly by the law, he didn't need any faith. He had absolute confidence in his ability to live out God's law. Falsely, but he believed it. But when the Holy Spirit was revealed to him, when Jesus Christ met him on that Damascus road, and he saw Jesus for the first time, do you remember what Jesus said about him? <laughs> I must show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Do you think it took courage for Paul to walk? I do too. And so we need uh, courage. And he, he says that to us. He says, right, he says in Romans 7, he says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate that I do. Anybody, anybody there with you, uh, with him? Paul then came to the place of courage when he came to the place where he said, what a wretched man am I? Who will save me from this body? And that is subject to death. And he said these words, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus my Lord. And the very next, the ne- two verses later he says, there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't separate those two thoughts The fact that he saw himself for who he was, and he saw Jesus who he was, and he saw that there was no condemnation, is so huge. And then he sets up and talks about the fact that the the life of the Spirit, the Spirit of life in us, is the one who set us free from the law of sin and death. The title in your Bible that says more than conquerors is so important because it's the difference between insecurity and security. I think that there's a lot of people living very insecure in their faith in Jesus Christ today. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And it's the definition of conqueror, actually. If you look under the heading of conqueror, there is a section of it that's called defeat. And, it, and it, the definition states it this way. It's to get the better of, often only for a time. Often for a time. It's a picture of a temporary victory with the possibility of the defeated troops rallying and counter-attacking. Now, Ryan and I have been talking for a while about the idea of a growing flakiness in spiritual lives and where it possibly could come from. I, le- I believe, at least in part, it is found here. There is a heretical belief that a person can lose their salvation. So was Paul saying in Romans 7 that because he lived in the reality of doing what he did not want to do and not doing what he wanted to do, that it had something to do with the possibility of losing salvation, his salvation? I mean, Because Hebrews 6 does say it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted in the goodness of the Word of God and the power of this coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. So is it possible to lose your salvation? I don't believe that's true. The question of of Hebrews 6 is, were they ever saved? Because there can be people in the church, and I'm going to say this out loud, there can be pastors preaching that have never really had a, a true relationship with the Lord of all. Remember, the only words of separation between God and ourselves is this, I never knew you. It is, it's never you didn't follow all the doctrines correctly. It isn't even the fact of you, you didn't obey me. It's I never knew you. Because quite honestly, obedience doesn't come off from um, doing everything right. It comes off from the fact that you're so in love with Jesus Christ that you don't want to disobey him. And so Paul comes in and answers this. In verse 31, it says these words, If God is for us, who can be against us? The if in the original language could also be said because. Because. Because God is for us, who can be against it? Think about this. God the Father is the orchestrator of salvation, of redemption. Jesus Christ through his completed work on the cross, became the means of redemption or salvation. And the Holy Spirit produces the outcome of redemption and salvation. Another way you can say it is that the Father initiated redemption, the Son validated the redemption, and the Holy Spirit activated the redemption. Jesus said in John 10, listen to me, my sheep listen to my voice. Right now, you know you're his sheep if you're listening to him. I don't care if you listen to me. Are you listening to him? Because he's speaking to you today. That's why he brought you. He wants to talk to you. In fact, he wants to talk to you every day. Do you believe that? I believe that. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me, is greater than all. That's an important statement. Because if there is a possibility of condemnation, it's because there's somebody greater that has the power to condemn. And sometimes in our hearts, we put people there, or we put circumstances there, or we put action there. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The point is, is that God is not only the giver of redemption or salvation, but he's also the sustainer. He's the sustainer. Like I said, only only if somebody is greater could redemption be taken away from anyone. But Psalm 27, 1, even the old prophet says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold, my life, whom shall I be afraid? Means that the one who enlightens my heart is the reality, to the reality of salvation is the giver, and he is the one who is the strength of my salvation is the sustainer. Isaiah 40 tells us that God is the one who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, above the circle of the earth meaning no one is higher than God. So the title becomes the reality of truth because God the Father orchestrated, because the Son is the means, and because the Holy Spirit is the one who produces the outcome. The victory of redemption has never been and will never be temporary victory over our enemy Satan. For those of us who have embraced the truth, Jesus Christ, our salvation is secure for all eternity in him. So we can be more than conquerors. More than conquerors. And so Paul wants to drive the nail on this to his objectors. He wants to, he wants to, he knows they're objecting, that he, and he knows there's reasons why they're objecting. So he answers these questions. In, the, in this first, uh, f- uh, 31st verse, it says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can be against us? And the question answered here is this. Can any human cause us to reject our salvation or do they have the power to take it away from us? This is a relevant question. It's a relevant question for Paul because he was being followed by Judaizers who continue to uh, come, come behind him and say that this grace of God is not real. It's only real if you are circumcised and if you follow the Mosaic law. That's the only way you're going to be accepted by God. But it's also real in our time. We live in a time where there has been a great um, um, turn away from the church. And you young people, you are the ones that are being challenged the most right now. Because you're not being necessarily led by your parents or by others to the Lord. And so the real question is for you guys, you younger people, is what are you going to do with Jesus right now? What are you going to do with Jesus? Don't let that question go by because there is an attempt by parents not taking children to church, by adults not teaching the truths of the gospel in schools or any other places that is this really real? And there's a threat there. Just like there was, not as as Paul was leaving Ephesus and going to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to be taken captive uh, by, by the leaders in Jerusalem, he went to the elders in Ephesus and he said these words in Acts 20, 29 through 30. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you. Some of you know savage wolves, don't you? Yeah, you do. And will not spare the flock. Even from your own number will rise men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul wasn't saying that people would lose their faith, but what he was saying is that there'd be a hinder and a hurt by evil people trying to deceive them. My example to you is a church that I served at. Uh, It was North Holland Reformed Church. It was established in 1847. I got the chance of being there when they celebrated their 150th anniversary. But it was in 1857 that Van had led these people uh, to their area. And and they had established this church. But they didn't have enough money to have a pastor. And so they... um, they had itinerant pastors that traveled from church to church preaching. And the way they paid them was in chickens or eggs or in anything that they grew, they would give to the pastors as payment. They did that for about 19 years. And, um, uh, and then what happened was these itinerant pastors began to preach false doctrine. And uh, the, the, the elect believers within the church picked up on on that, and they uh, said it's time for us to hire somebody who is going to lead us to Jesus Christ. And so um, Pastor uh, Vanessa was hired in 1866 to be this church's first pastor. And so um, I wasn't around at the time, but uh, (laughs) I did a study on it, and uh, and so, um, but this is important To know today, because there is a great deception that is going on among us, and we need to know the truth. Uh, In Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark, the 13th chapter, the 22nd verse, it says this For false Christs and false prophets will rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Meaning, the deception is going to be so strong. That even the elect are going to be shaken by it. But they will not be moved. They will not be moved because our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I believe that too. Second, who can be against us? Can I cause myself to lose my salvation? I love this argument that I, that I read in my studies. If it wasn't strong enough... If I wasn't strong enough to save myself by my own efforts and I needed a Savior to complete that work, then how could it be that by my own efforts I could nullify the work of grace that God accomplished in me? I think it's a great logical argument, and it's true. How many here knew and know they need Jesus Christ? So if you weren't strong enough to save yourself... Then how are you strong enough to stop the effect of the grace of God? Not. Now, this is a tough one. This has been argued um, over uh, time and time again uh, amongst Christians. There's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And the doctrine teaches that it is the power of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a true believer that sustain, that is the sustaining power and the security of our salvation, that even one could go far away from the Lord and yet not go outside of his grace. Now, that is an important thing and something that my wife and I hold on to strongly because it is the only way we can be on our knees for our daughter praying Believing, truly, if she's elect of God, that even though she's far away from us right now, he is one that his grace can extend farther. And for you that are living in rebellion to God, remember these verses from Hebrews 12. These warnings. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as sons. So if you are in rebellion to the Lord and you are elected by him, can I say this out loud? You're in a really dangerous place because our God knows how to get you back. And is it going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt. So today, if you say, that's me, uh, right now, right now, right now, get on your knees and say, okay, I see it. I see it. You cannot cause yourself to lose your salvation. Now, that's a hard one. How many people here have struggled with that one? Yeah. 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 Just don't forget this. If you weren't strong enough to save yourself, you're not strong enough to lose your salvation. Rest in that. Let the peace of Christ reign over you right now so that it becomes your hope. And you know what? When you have hope, you know what you do? You turn from your sin. When you have hope, you know you can return to God. And you hear his voice say, come back to me. Amen, amen. So we've looked at others, we've looked at God, or excuse me, we've looked at ourselves. The next one is, how about God? Can God take away our salvation? If it was God's love of the world that caused him to determine a plan to save it, couldn't he also change his mind and take away our salvation? I've actually had people that have said this to me. It might sound a little strange to you, but I've had this. You know, God's just really not. He's not for me. My life has been such, and we'll get into circumstances next week, but my life has been in such a thing that, that God, obviously, he's not for me. He's not for me. Time at Set Free Ministries, I, have, I heard that time and time again. This, of course, flies in the face of Scripture. I love the verse in the Old Testament that says that God does not change, so we are not destroyed. His love does not change, and so we are not destroyed. But verse 32 really does um, answer this question the best. Verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, if God chose to crush his own son on behalf of all those who would believe him while they were wretched sinners, while they were his enemy, listen, remember that. God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Now, I I don't know that we reflect on this enough. When I was his enemy, when I was against him that is the time when Jesus Christ died. If that's true, how much more will he do for those who have received him and now are seen as his children? Would God do less for believers after they are saved than he did for them prior to their salvation? The answer is no. Much more. Much more. Once I was adopted into the Andersma family, not only did I enjoy the love that brought me into that family, but I also enjoyed the benefits of being in the family, socially, financially, the security of a home, the warmth of training, guiding, directing, and support to live a life. Now, I'm three times the police car came to my, our house because of me. I was not a saint. I gave my parents a run for their money. But I can tell you this, listen to me. Never once never once did I ever felt like I didn't I wasn't a part of that family. Never once did my dad say to me, I am so disappointed in you. I don't see you as my son anymore. Never once. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, that is the security that you have. Are we going to let the Father down? Uh, Are we going to let the Father down? There's times that we'll sin, but never once will he tell us you're not my son. Never once. I let my parents down. I've let some of you down at times. I have. Never once has the Father said, You're not my son. Jesus' words before he went uh, to the cross and before he um, arose from the grave and ascended into heaven said these words Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My, father, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. The second way in this verse that the Spirit reveals to us the impact of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and what was truly wrought on the cross that makes this impossible for salvation to be taken away is this. How will he also, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Graciously gives may be in your Bible interpretation read as freely gives. It carries the idea of forgiveness. The same idea found in Colossians two thirteen, when you were dead in your sins and in your circum- in, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. God's unlimited forgiveness makes it possible for sinners to sin themselves; impossible for them sinners to sin themselves out of God's grace. So God would not take away our salvation because of the completed work of His Son and the free gift of forgiveness that covers our sins. Now, be careful. Are you in Christ Jesus? Remember what I said. Hebrews 6 really hits at the point that says that there are going to be those in church that never really truly received Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ Jesus? Am I? Answer the question. You'll know. Fourth, so we've talked about, are there any persons? We've talked about, would God take away? Who would be the obvious fourth one? Yeah, yeah, it starts with an S and, and ends with Aton. <laughs> Could Satan take away our salvation? How many have struggled with that? Yes. Come on. Yes. This is the most difficult one. It is the one that most struggle with. Have I been tempted too far now to sin and have fallen outside of God's grace? Have I been drawn away? Satan is called the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12.10. He came against Job, accusing a righteous man and actually accusing God for putting too much protection around Job. He is found accusing Joshua in um, Zechariah 3, which represents uh, Israel. And he calls out actually what Israel has done against God And Jesus even said to Peter himself, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. This is a real thing. I think sometimes that the church has almost been lulled to sleep of the work of Satan. And what has happened is he's getting more arrogant and more cocky. And he's getting more freedom in America because we are living in unreality of his work. Paul said this, we are not unaware of his wiles. Are you aware of what Satan is doing? Are you aware of what he's doing in your life? Are you aware of what he's doing in your family? Are you aware of what he's doing among your friends and your coworkers? Are you aware of what he's doing in the church? Are you aware? Are you aware? Because he is working. Um, So the question is, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? He is the accuser. He is the one who who believes he has the claim to charge. But then, of course, answers the question. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies Justification is the truth that a person has been changed by Christ's sacrifice so that they are eternally guiltless. Romans 8.1 says no condemnation because Paul believed in the justification of God. This is why, and, and, and this is the reason. Listen, God is the one who conceived the law. He is the one who revealed the law. He is the one who interprets the law. And he is the one who applies the law. And through the sacrifice of the Son, all the demands of the law are met. For those who trust in him. And so the Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15... Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory, eternal victory, through our Lord Jesus Christ. God will not remove His eternal victory. And so, can we? Can God? Will God? Can Satan? Absolutely not. You're gonna fight that one. You're gonna fight that one because the accuser still does have a job, is working. He still is he is he still working? Did he did he talk to you this week? Did he? That is not easy. That's why it's so important to hold on to the truths of Scripture, to know that God is the justifier because, and he has that right because he's the lawgiver. And if he's the lawgiver, and his son paid the, the total price, took the curse, paid the total price of the law for your sin. Total price of your sin against the law. you're totally forgiven stand up oh Christian walk do not be under the weight of condemnation now there's one person left who is it Mm -mm. we already talked about that one there's only one left in the universe who's the one that went to the cross It's Jesus. He's left. He's left. Absolutely. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Would Jesus take back his salvation? It's it's a great question. Paul makes four points of truth here that testify to the idea that it would go against Christ and against his promises. Listen to him. First, Jesus died. Because of his death, he paid the full penalty of sin. He bore the rightful condemnation on himself so that we could bear the rightful place before God, God's righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Amen. So it's his death. He's raised from the, from the dead. is proof that he has victory over sin. The grave could not hold him because he conquered death, not just temporarily, but forever. You remember Martha and Mary when they came to him and said, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. What was Jesus' words? I am the... Yes! Man, somebody needs to hear that today because somebody here is under the condemnation of their sin that even they did this week, and they need to realize that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him, even though he dies, will, shall live. And, even, and if you believe... will not die. Do you believe this? Yes. Amen and amen. So not just died, not just raised the dead, but did you notice it? Sitting on the right hand of God. Whoa, that, that is huge. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Do you wonder why when the name of Jesus is spoken that some go yes and some go no? Because it is the name that is above every name. And he humbled himself and he's at the right hand of God. Now, the interesting thing, yeah, it, 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 it goes back to the psalmist. David said this in, in 110, right? You remember this? It says, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, this is an interesting point. Did you know that in the temple there were no seats? Do you know why that is? Because the, the work of the priests were never completed never completed, because in of themselves they were not satisfactory. Anything done exteriorly does not satisfy the action that needs for our salvation. But notice that when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he, what? Yes, the mercy seat. He became the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies. Good connection. Yes, absolutely. And he sat at the right hand of the Father. Now that's interesting. The, I'm going to preach on this in a couple weeks. The first action of a Christian is to sit. What? We're sitting right now. No. Listen. Sit in the completed work of Christ. That everything he did for you on the cross is complete. And you sit in that completion and your soul rests in something that's called Sabbath rest. It is unrest that leads many of our lives day in and day out. Amen? Whether it's in our relational life, whether it's in our career life, whether it's in, in whatever life, it is unrest that leads us so many times and keeps us just going, 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 going. But can you sit, as Christ sits at the right hand of the Father right now, can you sit in the fact that in His work, it's completed for your life? I remember, um, and I may have said it before, I'm older, so I repeat. But my sister-in-law was dying of cancer. And we were all there as a family. And, uh, and my wife was crying. And she looked at my wife and said, Oh, honey, you don't need to cry. I'm okay. And as we were reading Revelation 21, She went home to be with Jesus. She, in that moment, as Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, so she was able to sit in the completed work of Christ. And then the final thing you see in that verse is this, that he is also interceding for us. For he bore the sins of many, Isaiah 50 says, and many intercession for the transgressors and made intercession for the transgressors. Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore, he he is able to save completely those who come to God. What word is that? Completely. Completely. In the the original language, it means completely. So... (laughs) Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Think about this. Your name is always on his mouth. What? Your name is always on his lips. How does that happen? I don't know. Some people say I talk a lot. But he is talking about you all the time. Every day. Making intercession. And is it needed? Yes. Because you know what? The thing about the Christian life is this. He knows the struggles you go through. He knows the trials that you're dealing with. He knows what the relationship is between you and your spouse. He knows who's accusing you. He knows all this. He knows it's not easy. And he's talking about you. Every day. Because he's your strength and your source. He's what you need. He is. He loves you so much. You ever have a relationship that you just, I mean, you're talking to each other and it's just like you have this thing going on and then all of a sudden something happens and they're not talking about you anymore, or you're not talking about them anymore, they're just gone? Has that ever amazed you? How somebody can be so deeply in your life at one moment and so gone the next. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. I said to, uh, um, trying to think of the context, but I said to Joel and, uh, and Shelby uh, that um, um, that God's um, love in your lives is this. I am pleased with you and I am content with you. That's God's love for us and that's the love that we can have with each other. Now does that mean everything we do is pleasing and that everything brings contentment? No. But it's under his reconciling hand, can bring our relationships always into the place of living pleased and contented with each other. And so, obviously, it would go against the promises of God and it would go against uh, who Jesus is um, for him to remove our salvation. And so, as we looked at all these things, why is this important? Why is this important? And uh, there are many things, but some of the things that came to my mind is this. First of all, because it takes all excuses away for our personal rejection or unbelief. You cannot, you no longer have the right to say because of this person, I don't believe, or because God wasn't for me, I don't believe, or because what Jesus did on the cross was I don't believe. You need to look honestly into your own heart and say, Either I don't believe because of my own rejection or I I do believe because I know who Jesus really is. Secondly, we don't have to be afraid to challenge people in their faith. I have heard people say, you know, I don't want to say this that strongly because I could push them away from God. Uh, Can you? No, no, say that out loud. Can you? Can you? You know, if you think about it, <laughs> when, when Paul, who was Saul at the time, met Jesus, what did he say to him? Get up and go to the city, and I will tell you what to do next. And then he went to Ananias, and he said, he said I, this is my chosen servant. I will show him how much he must suffer for me. Now, if that's not something that's influenced friends and uh, and giving direction, I don't know what is. But I think we've taken this thing too lightly, and I think we have balked under the fact that we've taken emotions too much into the game, and we have forgotten that the truth is what sets us free. And Jesus Christ says he's the way, the truth, and the life. So when you say the name of Jesus Christ to somebody, You're saying the truth. And what better thing can we do for each other? And the third thing, we have eternal security and confidence that our salvation was not only a gift from God, but it is sustained by God, and we can walk freely in that confidence, not letting the insecurity of others or anything else get in the way of living out our faith in Christ. I pray that's true for you today. And if you've not received Jesus Christ, you can have that security. Receive him today. I want to end with just two verses that that God had given me from the Old Testament. One is Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. That's the heart of God. And second of all, Isaiah 59, 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. Listen to this. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I've put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. Walk securely, all believers. If you believe in Jesus Christ, no matter what... you're you're facing today in a world of people, in, in in a world that wants to say your faith is nothing. Walk securely in Jesus Christ. If you've not received him, today. Don't let a day go by. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today, do not let a day go by. Because today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart, but let him speak to you. Stand with me as we end our time together in prayer. Father, as we come, uh, Lord, I, I want to thank you for your word that's true. I want to thank you, Lord, that in you we are more than conquerors. That, Lord, it has never been a temporary victory uh, that Jesus won on the cross for us, but it is eternal victory. That, that what you have done for us as, as, um, as, uh, as your enemy and as unbelievers in salvation much more you will do for us that, that you call child. And so, Father, may our hearts be set on that truth. Yeah. Lord, we, we live in a world uh, like many of us, especially us olders who are fifteen and older. We live in this world that we've never seen before. And we've go, we, we ask ourselves, where has America gone? Where has the life that I knew when I was a kid as we all went to church together and everybody seemed to get along and people honored their words and handshakes were enough to, to set a, a business thing in course. And Father, where did this all go? And as Father, this world continues to drift farther away from you. We need to know that our security is in you. Father, minister to our hearts, talk to us, speak to us right now. For, Father, it is a time, nothing like this, that we need to stand up and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ in our world. And that people need to come to know you personally. Uh, For time is short, and you're returning. And we can so easily be brought in um, uh, with the scoffers that say, um... Everything is the same as it was before. May we realize those are words of unbelief. Father, it is words of belief that say, Jesus could come back at this moment. And so I must be about my Father's business. So Father, just bless these words. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for attentive listeners and for your word that's truer than the speaker. And Father, speak to us in a way that causes us to draw closer to you and closer to each other. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.